Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church this beautiful Sunday morning in March. Yes, it's March. It's a brisk 30 or 40 outside, but we're warm in here, praise God. Welcome to the house of the Lord this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We may be in a small home with almost filled to capacity, but uh, welcome to the house of the Lord. If you guys will join me in a word of prayer, we'll start our service. We'll get ready to read our scripture this morning. <clears throat> Woo, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing, here, bringing us here today. And thank you, Lord, for uh, your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your grace that you freely pour out to all mankind. Lord, we just love you and praise you for that. And just ask, Lord God, that you would just pour out your grace upon us here today. And just fill this room with your Holy Spirit and with your power, Lord God. Even like the book of Acts, Lord God, when the day of Pentecost came, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the room, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would fall upon this room today. Lord, and fill us all today. And just let us be moved, Lord God. Prepare our hearts for these words, Lord. Teach me as I teach whoever's listening, Lord, all my congregation out there. I pray, Lord God, that you'd help me to deliver this message with your power and your love and your and just your grace, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would touch the hearts of the listeners and they may learn what I learned this week and you'd, your Holy Spirit would even teach them more, Lord. As we know your word says that we have no teacher our one teacher is the Holy Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, please teach us. Teach us all. And help us to understand your word. Help us to have clarity today. Make it clear to us all that you want us to know. I love you and praise you. We all love you and praise you, dear God. And just ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Yes. Amen. So if you guys want to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Going to be in verses 1 through 6 today in Matthew chapter 7. While you're going there, we're still on the Sermon on the Mount. We'll probably be there for at least four more weeks, learning about how Jesus taught people that were interested in coming to him, the seekers. If you guys remember that uh, message, as Jesus taught the seekers, as today we're all still seeking him. And uh, let's read it if you guys are all there. Chapter 7, verse 1. And Jesus says to us, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy 
to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces. So we're in a brand new chapter, Matthew chapter 7, brand new chapter, and we have a brand new godly topic. Remember I told you that all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus picked topics to teach us about. So although we're expositional here at Gospel Saving Church, uh, which means we go through the Bible verse by verse, so we just go as it, as it is. Sometimes we go topical because Jesus taught topically, so we're teaching topically here in the Sermon on the Mount because every little section that we have, Jesus is teaching on a brand new godly topic. So we're going to do things a little in reverse today. We're going to do things a little bit, change them up. Normally, we start right away and we start teaching about what the Scripture means. And we start right off the bat going through exactly what the interpretation is and what we believe that God is saying to us. Today, we're going to do it a little different. Today, I'm going to teach you what it doesn't mean first. And then we're going to look at what it does mean. Let me explain. I've been a street evangelist for like 12 or 13 years now. And this seven, uh, chapter 7 verse 1 verse here is a, one of the biggest scriptures that people use against or people have used against me as an evangelist on the streets. Why? Well, anytime a sin issue would come up, anytime, whether they admitted to it or, you know, I would notice something or we would notice, you know, them and, you know, drinking or, or doing drugs or, or whatever it may be. And anytime we bring that sin up and talking to them about the Lord as they claim to be, you know, most of them claim to be Christians or most of them claim to be this, and, but yet still, you know, uh, alcoholic or still a drug user. And, and, and I would say something like, you know, the Bible says that, you know, no drunkard shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Immediately, I mean like immediately, here comes Matthew Chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Who are you? You're not my judge. Only God can judge me. You don't know my heart. I can't tell you how many times that I have heard that. So, if we look at that, and we could say easily, yes, you know, that could be a judgment. Why are you judging that person? Well, you're going to see as we go on, as we study and the things we're going to look at, the different verses, the different chapters that we're going to look, look at in the Bible here, that that is not Jesus' contextual meaning of this scripture here. Uh, first off, if that was the case, and let's say, you know, you notice somebody in some type of sin, and, you know, we notice somebody doing something and we brought that sin up to them. If that was the case, then we go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 where John the Baptist is do, holding a baptism of repentance of sins for the children of Israel okay, by the River Jordan. And as people are coming out to him, he's baptizing them, not, not for salvation, but he's baptizing them for repentance. So as he's doing that, he sees a certain other crowd come in. And in Matthew 3, 7, John the Baptist says, But when John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. What is he saying? 
He knew the lifestyles of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders. He knew that their lifestyles, and we talked about it here in Sirs 4 and John, where Jesus called them out to, where they would tithe mint and rue and cumin and all those other kind of things, and yet they would they all they was was pride. They sat at the best places in the synagogues and they wanted the they wanted the good things from the people. They wanted people to say nice things about them. But then Jesus said, Don't do as they do, but do as they tell you, because they're telling you the right things. Well, John here called them out on their sin, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Change your lifestyle, religious leaders. Change your lifestyle. Turn away from the sin which you live in and turn to God. So John the Baptist called out these religious leaders on their sin. How about when in Matthew 14, 3 and 4 where... Uh, John, again, calls Herod out on his sin of marrying his brother Philip's wife. He had a meeting with John. You know, John would see the king riding by, and he was done this wicked thing, and John called him out. And in fact, that's what got John put in prison and then eventually beheaded because Herod married his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. He called out this king on his sin. So if we're... Judge not, least ye be judged. You can't judge me. You don't know my. You don't know my heart. Then John the Baptist did this. And if John the Baptist did this, and if he was going against the teaching of Christ here on the Sermon on the Mount, why in the world then, in Matthew eleven eleven, would Jesus give this testimony of John, where he says, "Assuredly, I say to you, amongst those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist." But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. If John the Baptist would have broken the teachings of Christ by his calling out people of sin, and that and this scripture is what people of America especially claim it to be, then why in the world would Jesus have given John such an awesome testimony? Jesus more could have said, you know, John was a great guy, but you know, he just... He really laid down too much judgment on people, so don't do what John did. But instead, he said, basically, we were supposed to follow John's example. John was an awesome man of God. And those are only two examples of John. As we look at the whole New Testament and the epistles of the apostles and disciples, well, I'll say that five times fast, don't do it, we also see some more things. We see, for instance, Paul writing in Galatians 5.19, where he says, The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then we go back to what we learned whatever, a month or so ago, where there's the spirit of the law and the letter of the law, and we have Jesus here, uh, which are adultery. Well, Jesus said, even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So if you practice looking at women with lust in your heart or a man in your heart, you would be practicing committing adultery. That would keep you out of heaven. Fornication. I mean, any of these things. If you were to, me, I would say, let's say I observed somebody in a, that doing, you know, committing that type of sin on the streets, and I would say, well, you know, the Bible says in Galatians 5.19 that, you know, if you practice this, this, and this, which is, you know, what you're doing, you know, the Bible says that you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. They would say, judge not, least ye be judged. 
You don't know my heart. You, you don't know what I'm thinking. I would just be quoting to them God's word. Just straight out God's word. But they would automatically think that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm judging them. So, is that if that was the case again, we got Paul. Go, go to this time, 1 Corinthians 5, because we're going to look at the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to read the whole chapter and really get a... Paul really nails this one on the head with this scripture about, you know, what judge, judge not lest she be judged really means. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the whole chapter, because he really hits the proverbial nail right on the head here with this one. Give you a moment to get there. So Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says to them, It is actually reported that there is sexual, sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. Meaning, now remember, Gentiles in the context of the New Testament is people that are godless. That a man has his father's wife. That's gross. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Well, that's a judgment, isn't it? That's a judgment right there. If you saw somebody in your congregation and you knew that they were having your father's wife, that's you'd have to make a judgment call and say, oh, wow, that's that's not good. Yet, again, proper contextually, that's not what this verse is saying in Matthew chapter 7. Let's go on, verse 3. For I indeed, am, for I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged. Whoa, Paul said he just judged. Wow, wait a minute here. As though I were present, him who has done this deed. Paul's saying, I've already judged him who's done this deed. But yet, if judge not that ye be not judged means that we can't lay a godly judgment or pass off a godly judgment on somebody that's committing a sin like this, if that was what that really meant, the false interpretation of most Americans, Paul would be in violation of Christ's teachings too. And we know that Paul's not in violation of Christ's teachings, so that's a key. Verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are to get gathered together along with my spirit, you know, I'm there with you, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole Lump. So he's saying, when you gather together the next time you're with him, I'll be there with you in spirit. Trust me, I'll be there. Kick him out. Don't even let him fellowship in your congregation. Because one that does this, bad news. One little leaven, one little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you have one little pinch of yeast, it makes the whole big batch of bread rise. One little leaven of sin will make the whole congregation, will make the whole church cause to be caught up in sin. So he says, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. So you are forgiven. You are Christ-like people. You are godly people. But get out that old leaven. Get them out, that you may be continuing to walk with God 
in purity and holiness. He says, For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, not with our old sinful lives, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness. Get those things out of your lives. But with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then this is where he really, really, 9 through 13. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual, sexually immoral, immoral people, Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covet, or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. So you're in your world of your church. I said don't keep company with those types of people. Meaning don't go preach the gospel. I'm not telling you, hey, don't go preach the gospel to them. But hey, don't go be friends with them. Don't go hang out with them. Because whomever you go hang out with you're going to fall into that type of sin that they're getting caught up in. So I, I told you not to keep company with these immoral, evil people. But then I, what I was saying is, Paul's saying, I, I meant not of the world. Not of the world. I, I wasn't talking about inside the church, but he covers that next. But he says, 11, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an adulterer, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. So, somebody in your church, not only are you supposed to kick them out, if they're practicing such wickedness and evil in their lives, practicing that, not only are you supposed to not just kick them out of your church, but you're not even supposed to go to lunch with them. To maybe you feel, oh, I'm going to go to lunch with that one, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to straighten them out. No, Paul says, don't even bother. Kick him out. Because basically when you kick him out, when you get him out, he'll know you're serious. And then he'll say, oh man, I really, I really love that place. I really love Jesus. Do I want to still do this? or do I want you know?" And we'll get to that later. Paul is laying a judgment on people. If you do this, they're in danger. He's giving them a judgment. So the judge not, lest ye be judged title. That's our title of today's message, by the way. Judge not, at least ye be judged, is not anything, has nothing to do with if you're seeing somebody in sin and they're practicing a sinful lifestyle, calling them out on their sin, or hey man, you know, you're in danger because you're committing this sin, so on and so forth. He says, for, verse 12, For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are outside? Or do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from you, put away from yourselves the evil person. Judge for yourselves what their lives are, and if their lives are lived contrary to the doctrine that you receive, contrary to the Scripture, contract, contrary to the holiness of God, and they won't change, they gotta go. I hope you see so far that this Sermon on the Mount teaching of Jesus is not he's not talking about calling someone out on their state of practicing their sin in their lives. So think of this. Let's say you knew somebody, a friend, or you're on the streets and you're talking to somebody, you meet somebody at a gas station, and something comes up. Think about it like this. You're walking down the street of your neighborhood that you're in, or your apartment complex, and all of a sudden you see this roaring fire in the second story of one of the houses on your block or one of the apartment apartments in your apartment complex. What would be your first thing to do? I hope 
Firstly, you'd call 911 and get the police there or get the, get the firemen there. But what would be the next thing that any concerned citizen would be to do? I hope you'd run up to that apartment or run up to the door of that house and bang on that door. Hey, hey, your, your upstairs is on fire. Please get out of the house. You're going to die. If there's anybody in there, you're knocking on the door, you're pounding on the door. I hope that all of us would see that burning fire and go up and try to save and rescue the people in that house. Just good Samaritan, if anything. Be a good Samaritan, whether you know them or not, whether they like you, whether they're a good neighbor or not. I would hope that you would go up and try to at least rescue them. That's what you'd be doing by telling somebody that they're on a dangerous path or they're in a life of sin and they need to stop. That's how you can look at that. Um, another way we can look at it. If you love those that are around you, which you should... Love those that are around you, no matter how hard it is, because all the people around us are not always easy to love. But God, nonetheless, says, "How will they know that you're real? How will they know He's real? But they'll know us by our love." Okay. And at one point, God gives you an open door, open door to talk to them about Jesus, and you take it. And you should, we all should, be looking for open doors to share Jesus with people that are around us. We all should. Amen. <laughs> and during this time, there comes a point when sin comes up. And it comes out that they're living in some kind of sinful life and they and they don't honor God. Living with their boyfriend. Living with their girlfriend. Committing, uh, committing adultery. Committing fornication. Something like that. Well, at this point, you need to tell them, in a loving way, of course, you are in danger, my friend, because God's Word says... Whatever, at this point, if you love them. Because if you don't love them, and you hear them say that, and God's giving you an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus, then you're just leaving them in the same dangerous position that you, that you found them in. And what kind of light are you being if you're not going to shine light on their bad situation? And if you leave them in darkness, they may get mad at you. They may say, well, you're judging me. No, 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 no. Hey, I'm just telling you what God's Word says. That's all you could say. So this is not the kind of judgment that Jesus is talking about to us here. Now, is this still judgment that he's saying? Verse 1, judge not that ye be not judged. Absolutely. But you are not personally judging them. No, you are warning them about God's judgment on their sins. All you are doing is telling them what God said about their sinful life and warning them. So let's not let Satan trick us. And to think in the next time we're in that conversation with that person, it's in danger. Oh, they're going to just get mad at you. They're, they're going to think you're judging them. You, you, if you love them, and you should love them, you need to tell them that we need to tell them that they're in danger. And I've been guilty of not doing it before in the past. But if we love the people, if we love the people and we want to really see them get to heaven, whether they get mad at us or not, we just got to give them God's word. So don't be afraid. Judge not. That ye be not judged, for with the judgment you judge. Don't be afraid of what Christ is saying here, because he is not talking about that type of judgment. We're going to figure out what he's talking about, but that is not what he's talking about. And don't worry if they get mad at you most of the time. In fact, almost 100% of the time. The only reason they will get mad at you for bringing up that sin in their lives that you're concerned about between them and God is because they know that they're wrong. They know that they're living in that sin. And they're mad at you for bringing it up. But you're not being the type of judge that Jesus says, do not judge here, lest ye be judged. So, 
If this scripture doesn't mean what we just covered, then you might be asking, what is the correct meaning? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we're going to cover that right now. So let's read verses 1 and 2 again, and we're going to break them down. Start with me in verse 1. Go over slowly. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So you know, the Greek word for judge is krino. And the definition is to determine, resolve, decree, to pronounce judgment, to subject to censor of those who act the part of judges or arbitrators in matters of common life, or pass judgment on the deeds and words of others. So Jesus is teaching against people passing judgment on others, and he warns us here in verses 1 and 2 with very strong words, don't do that. Judge not that ye be not judged. And he says, for whatever judgment you pass on another, you'll be judged with that judgment. Ooh, that makes my spine crawl. Then he says, with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Think about a measuring cup. One cup, two cups, Three cups, four cups. Let's say you're making a pie and you need a half a cup of milk or something. And you pour that milk in that. Or you just need a, a full cup. Well, Jesus is saying here, with whatever size of judgment you judge someone else, you'll be judged with that same level, that same size of that judgment. That's pretty steep. Those are pretty scary words. Because I know I don't want to be judged by God, do you? Amen? I don't want to be judged by God. Powerful words from Christ. It's intense. So we need to be careful how we look at the, this whole section as a whole and make sure that we're really hitting the nail on the head. But I think we've got it. So, what kind of judgment is he talking about? As we are looking at the word judgment, or looking at what kind of judgment, we must first look at our grammar first in verse 3. Just look at the first word with me. The word is and. The word and, I didn't always grasp what the word and meant. The word and in the Greek is the word da. And it's a conjunction word, just like the word therefore in our last section. And it's defined as but, moreover, and etc. Now if you read just verses 1 through 4, it might seem like two different types of categories. Talking about judgment, and then you're talking about brothers. But the word and, read verses 1 through 4 with me. Let's read them again with, instead of and, let's read it with moreover. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Moreover, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove this speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? With the word and being a conjunction word, moreover, 
I clearly saw, which I had missed right away, that with the word moreover in there, with the word and in there, which we lose in our English translation, we... In today's 2013 language, I don't. I never really. I knew kind of and kind of coupled, but I didn't really realize the power of the word and here. What when you throw moreover in there, you see that clearly Jesus is not talking about just any kind of laying of judgment on anybody. He's talking about laying a judgment on another brother in Christ or sister in Christ because that judgment and the brother and sister got joined together in one thought instead of two like I always always read this scripture probably forever and then when we look at that judgment now we can easily see that Jesus is not talking about any judgment but he's what he's saying is you as a brother or sister in Jesus looking at another brother or sister in Jesus and judging them for something that you are doing as well. So that really clarified it up. It's not talking about just any kind of judgment, but it was easily missed. It was for me anyway. And I don't know if you guys missed it, but I know I did, so I'm glad I did the study. <clears throat> so the word moreover helped me see that the verses, that these four verses are really joined together and not two separate thoughts. It could easily be misunderstood but anybody that really wants to look at that word and and really wants to look at the whole context of the scripture could easily see that. So, we can easily see from these four verses put together that our context is not talking about just any normal kind of judgment. That's awesome. Now we can go from there. It's like now that we know exactly what Christ is talking about, we can be now we don't we can know, we don't have to be careful about, you know, let's say talking to somebody in sin about what they're doing. And so now let's focus on one brother judging another brother, one sister, judging another sister, for not only their sin, which is not necessarily that bad per se, but let's say when we're doing it, okay? If we don't do it right, and we do it wrong, like Jesus is saying here, just keep in mind as you're thinking about this, as we're going through this, we'll have to face verses 1 and 2. And uh, I don't know about you, but the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 30-31, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people, and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So I don't, like I said earlier, I don't want that, and I hope you don't either. So we also have the Apostle Paul talking to us about this topic of judging another for the same sin as you're committing in Romans 2, 1 through 3. And as we read this, Romans 2, 1 through 3, so we can get a context on what Christ is saying to us here. Paul's not talking about a brother or sister judging another brother or sister, but he is talking about the subject matter of judging another while you're committing the same act. And Paul writes, therefore, you are inexcusable, old man, whoever you are who judge for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? So even Paul warns, not in a Christian-to-Christian uh, context, but even Paul warns that looking at another, seeing them in the same thing, say that they're doing something ungodly, 
And then you come to them and say, hey, man, you know, whatever you're doing there, uh, that's not good. Uh, that's not holy. Uh, you know, that's against God. And then you yourself are doing the same thing. Even Paul said, that's inexcusable. That's, that's not to be done. And in verse 5, we'll get to that in a minute, Jesus calls those people that do that hypocrites. So um, Jesus is telling us plainly here, Matthew, on the topic of Christian brother, sister, laying down a judgment on another for something they themselves are guilty of, to simply not do it the end. But that's not the end of our teaching. That's not the end. We still have verse 5 in our scripture here. Let's read it. He says, Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So we see that Jesus tells us how not to do it. Don't go to another brother or sister in the Lord if you see them in an error, doing something wrong, and tell them to remove the little speck out of their eye. When you're doing the same thing, don't do that. Because then you're a hypocrite. And we already saw hypocrites get their rewards and hypocrites aren't really walking with God. They're just being a holy, having a holier-than-thou attitude. So then what does Christ do? Christ, being the great teacher, doesn't just say, okay, here's what not to do. He tells us the correct way in which to correct another brother or sister that we may be seeing, or we always have to look at not only one side of it, but we have to look at the other. Let's say we're caught up in something, and let's say we don't even know, and another brother or sister comes to us. Christ gives us the correct way that we can make sure, okay, well, I know that if that brother or sister came to me on that, that they got to deal with God, so let me look at what they're saying to me, and let me you know, take that with a grain of salt. So, biblically, we see that Paul talks about a confrontation with Peter in Galatians 2, 11-14, where Peter had gotten caught up with some sin. And in Galatians chapter 2, I'll let you go there. But know as you're going there, that the proper way to approach a brother or sister, contextually here, is to examine yourself first. So, let's say you see a brother or sister caught up in a transgression, some kind of sin. Well, that's, that's bad, that's ungodly. But oh, before you say anything, first, look at your own life. Make sure that you are not caught up or guilty of the same type of sin. Then you can go to your brother or sister and talk to them about their sin. And we see that that's biblical, because even Paul, in Galatians, where he says in verse 11, now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. And in case you guys don't know, in the Jewish tradition, Jewish men of the Old and the Old Testament were not allowed to eat with non-Jewish people. The Jews really had this thing about if you ate with somebody, you kind of like partook of the meal with them and then what you were really doing is you were part you were kind of becoming kind of one type of person as you kind of ate together so then as you would do that the jews had this ritual this this really religious thing where they said we will not eat 
with somebody that's non-Jewish because, you know, that would may, might infect us. Almost like, you know, I to use this analogy, but I'm a school bus driver and little boys and little girls, say, oh, he's got cooties or oh, she's got cooties kind of a thing. And they won't, little boy or little girl won't hold hands or won't, you know, do anything. They won't even hardly talk to one another because they might be afraid that, you know, that little boy or little girl might mess with them a little bit or something. So in the same way, the Jews had this same kind of thing. So Peter was guilty of doing this. Peter was guilty of, and now we see as we go on, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So Peter, being a Jew and a Christian, already had a revelation from God, it's okay to go eat with Gentiles. He went to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius got one to the Lord because of his obedience. He already knew that God had called all peoples clean in respect to whether you're Jew or non-Jew. It doesn't matter. You can all eat together. You're not going to rub off on one another. They're, I love those people too. But so what Peter was doing was, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. And then when certain Jews came, which would be probably most likely Jewish Christians or that called themselves Jewish Christians, came, that really held to the traditions then Peter would stop eating with the Gentile people to have a, well, okay, I'm keeping the tradition. You know, I don't want to do that. When What does the Bible say? The Bible says that if you're a real Christian, you love others. Well, loving is not pulling back from somebody in one sense, but then going, that's playing the hypocrite. If you're eating with somebody in one point, but then avoiding them in another aspect, that's called hypocrisy. So Peter was guilty, because in verse 14 he says, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? What's Paul saying? He's saying, Peter, why are you compelling these people to become Christians? Because if you're a Jew and you can only be with Jewish people, what... So what? Leave the people alone. Don't even bother them about Jesus. Just live like a Jew. Just don't live in any love at all. Just live like a Jew. So Peter was guilty of this sin. Paul approached him on his sin for correction. Now, if you do this, like Paul with Peter, just make sure we do it in love with another brother or sister. Not a holier-than-thou attitude. Oh, uh, hey, uh, brother, uh, you know... I know I beat that one some years ago, but uh, hey, man, I, I noticed you're doing that. Yeah, it's all right, man. You, you can uh, you can kick it just like me because, you know, after all, I'm, I'm real godly. You know, just make sure we do it in love if we approach somebody. God shows us in his intent of his heart throughout the whole Bible. The heart of God is always to draw people to himself, not to ever push people away. Correction is not meant to destroy people. Correction is not meant to drive people from God. Correction is meant to build them up in Christ. Paul writes about this in Galatians 6.1. If you're already there, you can know I'm just one verse. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Which brings us to our last point, verse 6. Let's read it. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, in Matthew 7, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. 
Jesus and Paul in Galatians 6.1, he says, considering yourselves, least you also be tempted. He's just really saying what Jesus used more graphically here in 6.1. Jesus is telling us what happens spiritually, because of course with everything that God says not to do, he only says not to do it because there's a danger behind doing it. God doesn't ever tell anybody not to do something because, well, uh, you know, I, I know I don't want you to do that, but I, you know what, I'm just don't do that because. God tells us not to do something because it's not good. Literally, there's consequences for everything that we do that we're not that God says don't don't do. There's consequences for those things that God says to do. Jesus gives us a much more graphic picture of what happens spiritually if we don't handle this subject properly. If we don't bring the correct, if we don't bring the correction right, and we are guilty of the same error that they're in, we disturb a hornet's nest or crawl into a den of vipers. We will not only bring judgment from God upon ourselves, but we will also give Satan and the demons the right, the spiritual right to attack us. Hence, don't give what is holy to the dogs. Because when we do that, when we attack or when we accuse or when we lay a judgment on another brother or sister and we are guilty and we become hypocrites, hypocrisy is a sin. Anytime you sin, you're moving out from the covenant of God. Anytime you crawl back into sin. And anytime you crawl back into sin, you allow Satan to have free course to attack you. And whatever you're doing, that you're being a hypocrite in, or whatever you're doing for that matter, that you're in sin over. So Jesus is warning us, don't do that, not because I'm a cruel taskmaster, or not because, or or, or, or anyway, he's saying not to do that, number one, because it's not loving. I'm practicing the same sin and calling you out because of your sin. Oh, because, you know, I'm, you know that's, just, that's hypocrisy. But number two, because God knows that if we do that, Satan will have a field day and he'll attack us. Absolutely. A closing. Two closings. Closing to my Christian brothers and sisters that are out there. Please be prayerfully careful about quick judgments on other brothers and sisters about their sins. And examine yourself first before you say one word to them about their sin. Then, always make sure, remember, bring it in love. Bring it in love. A spirit of gentleness, as Paul said in Galatians. With a spirit of gentleness. But as for those... But as for those who don't know Christ, just look at their lives and see who they serve. And if you see that they don't serve Christ in their lives, then lovingly bring to them their attention that they're going to face God's judgment and God's wrath. I was just talking to another brother about this just last night. God is not only loving, He's always loving. But God has more than one side of love. God also says, I am a God of wrath. Vengeance is mine saith the Lord. So we can't just think of Jesus as a baby in a manger and oh, he's so sweet and oh, he's so loving. No, no, no. God is a righteous judge and must punish sin. And if you see someone in sin, remember Christian, if you see someone in sin, try to win that one, not by calling out their sin with a holier than thou attitude, but by bringing up to them the wrong that they're doing so that you can tell them and warn them about God's judgment upon them when they were to die. And that's how we're supposed to view this.
Now lastly, because I love everyone that's listening or that ever will listen to this message, I can my I have a comp, a compelling statement. I have a compelling last few words to give you as a warning from God. And no, I'm not being a judge like people think. I need to tell you that if your lifestyle doesn't line up with the lifestyle that Christ lived, which was holiness, purity, God-centeredness, not self-centeredness, then you are in danger of hellfire. 1 John 2.6 tells us that. He who says he abides in Christ ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. Jesus said also himself in John 15.5-6, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I, him, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. And they are burned. And I can tell you, by all the biblical accounts of heaven, there's no fire in heaven. No fire in heaven. So Jesus is clearly talking about hell here. And again, this is not my judgment, but it's God's judgment. And it comes right from the pages of his book, not mine. I am not judging you, but I am telling you out of love that one day you will die and God will judge you. He will look for one thing when you die, just one thing and one thing only. He will look at you, the life that you lived here on this earth and he'll look at things about your life and he'll say, was this person obedient and faithful in their ways to his son, Jesus Christ? So please examine your lives right now and ask yourself, are you making a decision to live for Christ daily? following and trusting in Him with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength? Or do you live for you and make yourself the captain of your own ship? Examine your lives. Please, this is very important. If you realize that you're not there, please cry out to Christ right now and surrender your life to Him before it's too late. And I have a famous saying, and one thing they might send me down in history for when they lay me in my grave. I want it, In fact, I want it put on my tomb. I want it put on my headstone. If you don't show God that you are interested in Him now while you're alive now, why will He know that you're interested in spending an eternity with Him? If you don't want to spend any one day with Him now, through your maybe 50, 60, 70, maybe 100 years that you might live, if you never show Him that you're interested in Him now, in these few days that you're here, maybe 100, maybe less, maybe today's your last day that you'll die. Eternity is forever. Eternity is not a few days, it's not a couple weeks, it's not a few years, it's not a couple decades, it's Billions and billions and trillions and trillions and quadzillions of years forever. 
And if you don't show God that you're interested in any of your days, your few days that you have here on earth, then he will definitely know that you're not interested in spending forever with him later. He gave up his life on a cross for each and every person on the planet. He took your sin upon himself and died so that anyone that would turn to him, that all peoples could have eternal life. It would be your fault if you don't show an interest in him now. If you don't seek him now, it would be your fault. He requires that you turn from your ways and turn to God with all your heart and live for him and not you anymore and put your trust in him and his work on the cross only and nothing, nothing, nothing of yourself. So I plead with you, please, if you know you're not there, cry out to Jesus Christ right now and accept his marriage invitation to you right now. Please, show God you're interested in him now in this few days that you have here. Remember, if you don't, he'll know that you don't want to spend forever with him later. God loves us all, wants us all to turn to him. Pray with me, please. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord God. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bless this message, Lord God, wherever it may go. <clears throat> and I pray, God, you'd use it in a mighty way to touch the hearts of the people that will listen. I pray, God, for us, us Christians out there, Lord, whoever I'm talking to, Lord, or talking about, Lord, excuse me, I'm talking to you, Lord, that we would always be making sure that we're coming to others in love in Christ, telling them if we see them in error. Or, Lord, and vice versa, if another loving brother or, Christian, brother or sister Christian comes to us and says, hey, man, I see that, you know, this thing here, that I would know then that that other brother or sister knows that they're already examining their lives and they know that they're not in sin and that we receive that, Lord, and examine ourselves and what they say. Because, Lord, we're the last, usually we're the last people to know that we're caught up in some kind of sin, Lord. Sometimes it takes the eyes of somebody else that sees something that we don't see. So, Lord, help us to be wise in this and help us to be <clears throat> concerned about others. And help us, and I pray and hope that others would be concerned about us. I pray, Lord, that we would only come in love always, but firm, but in love, no matter whoever we're talking to. And whatever correction or whether rebuke or whether whatever love issue that we have to bring up, that we'd always approach one another with love. And that we'd be careful not to judge others for something that we're not doing. And Lord, I pray also that forever who may be listening, that's not yours that examine their life today and realize that they're not where they need to be. That realize that they're off in left field and they know about you, but they don't live for you. I pray that today would be the day that they would call out to you and be ready to turn and not want to live for themselves anymore, but live for Jesus. And I ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.